I would like you to take a Bible. Let's open it together to 1 Samuel chapter 18 in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 18, we're going to be continuing in our study of the life of the man of God, David. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'd like to invite you to borrow a copy of the Bible that we have on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 204, page 204 of our copy of the Bible, or 1 Samuel 18 in your copy of the Bible. Shakespeare called it the green-eyed monster. It has wrecked more families... It has ruined more workplace environments. It has come before between more relatives and it has destroyed more friendships than any other single force in the universe. What's more, there's not a single one of us here who at some point in our lives has not struggled with this. You say, Lon, what is it? Well, it's jealousy. And friends, we're going to talk about jealousy today because we come in our study of the life of David to a passage where this becomes the key issue between King Saul and David, an issue that ruins their relationship. And I want to talk to you about how jealousy even today ruins relationships, about the negative and cancerous impact that it has on our lives. And then we want to talk about how you and I can overcome the power of jealousy in our lives. So let's look together here in 1 Samuel 18. Remember the background. David has just beaten Goliath and the army is now marching home victoriously as we pick up the story. Verse 6. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel as they passed through to meet King Saul uh, with singing and with dancing and with joyful songs and with tambourines and with lutes. And as they danced, they sang this song. And here's how it went. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. Now, this is a problem. And the reason this is a problem is because here we have this young man, David, showing up, the king of Israel, embarrassing Saul, outdoing Saul. You say, but David didn't do it. David didn't make up the song. It's not David's fault what these ladies sang about him. Well, it may not have been. But you see, Saul was such a man of ego. He was such a man of pride. He was such a man who had to be on top all the time that even though David had nothing to do with it, it was still a threat to his ego and to his pride. And he didn't take kindly to it. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the baseball season this year, but, you know, Mark McGuire just hit home run number 57, if you can imagine that, yesterday. He's the only man other than Babe Ruth in all of Major League Baseball history to have back-to-back 50 home run years. In fact, in over those two years, he's actually hit more home runs over that two-year span than Babe Ruth hit. Amazing. And you know how sometimes guys hit home runs, you see them on TV, and they drop the bat or they flip the bat right at home plate and they just kind of stand there and watch it go over the fence and then they start that little swagger around the bases, you know, as if to kind of rub it in just a little bit. They interviewed Mark McGuire on ESPN and here's here's what he said, and I quote. He said, when I hit a home run, I think I owe the pitcher enough respect not to stand at the plate and watch it go. I try never to show up the pitcher. End of quote. Now, this is a good idea. This is smart because we all know pitchers do not take kindly to being shown up. You show up a pitcher, you're liable to get one in the ear next time up. Pitchers have a certain mentality. They are wired a certain way where it's all personal and they take it all personal. So McGuire is a smart man. Now, if he had lived in modern times, Saul could have been a pitcher. 
because he had that same mentality where he took everything personal and everything was a big deal and he did not enjoy being shown up. And look what happens next. Verse 8, and Saul was very angry. Their song, look at this, galled him. Man, just got him way down in the gallbladder and just, just got him, made him go crazy. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me, they've only credited me with thousands. Now, before long, this man's going to take my whole kingdom away. And from that time on, verse 9, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Incredible jealousy developed in their relationship because of David. uh, He didn't mean to, but his very presence threatened Saul. Now, what were some of the results of this jealousy in their relationship? I mean, how did this jealousy affect David and Saul's relationship? Well, there are three ways. Look, look with me. Verse 12, first of all, it says in verse 12 that Saul was afraid of David. The first thing that will happen in their relationship is that Saul became afraid of David. All trust disappeared between these two men. And we know that when trust disappears in a relationship, in a marriage, in a friendship, in a working relationship, wherever, when you lose trust for the other person, when that erodes, hey, the whole relationship's in big trouble. I'm often telling my staff here, and if you don't believe me, go to any one of them and ask them if this is true, and they'll tell you it is. All the time I'm saying, hey, you know, guys, our one qualification to be able to minister here at McLean Bible Church is our personal credibility. If people lose trust in us, if, they, if the trust relationship between us and the people of this church is ever destroyed, I don't care how many degrees we have, I don't care how many seminaries we've been to, I don't care how, how nicely we can talk or how many ministry skills we have, our ministry's over. It's over if we lose the trust of our people. And in the same way, friends, when trust disappears from any relationship, that relationship is going to deteriorate just as David and Saul's did. Now, number two, skip down to verse 28. Verse 28. It says in verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David, verse 29, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained David's enemy the rest of the days of his life. Not only did they, did they lose trust, but second of all, Saul becomes, became David's sworn enemy. And no matter how hard David would try over the next few years to convince Saul that he was loyal and he was devoted and he wasn't out to get him, he's no way he could convince him. The jealousy had eaten so deeply into Saul's heart that Saul considered David his enemy for the rest of his life. And did David try? Yeah, he tried. Two times he had the chance to kill Saul and didn't do it. And then came to Saul and said, Saul, look, man, if I was everything you thought I was, if I was really your enemy, wouldn't I have killed you when I had the chance, man? I spared your life twice. I'm loyal. I'm devoted. I'm on your team, man. What's wrong with you? But there was no way in the world he could bring Saul around. The jealousy was just too strong. It made him enemies. And third and finally, look at chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul told his son Jonathan and all of his attendants to kill David. Saul deliberately set out to murder David. As hard as it might be for us to imagine, Saul was so obsessively envious of David that he actually ordered the cold-blooded murder of David. There was no pretense. There was no subtlety. There, there was no worrying about image or trying to hide it. He didn't call the mafia in and say, Hey, you guys, okay, now I'm going to pay you $10,000. You hit this guy, but don't you tell anybody that I had anything to do with this. You understand? None of that. 
The whole nation knew he was out to kill David. And the really sad thing about this is that this became the national agenda of Israel for Saul is kill David. And there were some very uh, there were some other very important things that Saul as the leader of the nation ought to have been worried about. He should have been worried about the Philistines. They weren't hadn't gone away, friends. They were still around. He should have been worried about how to deal with them. He should have been worried about the living conditions in Israel, helping the poor, helping the needy, helping the widow and the orphan. He should have been worried about how to take this nation and lead this nation spiritually into the blessing of God, but instead his entire national agenda deteriorated to let's go find and kill David and the whole nation suffered. Friends, anytime jealousy gets into a relationship, the relationship is determined and bound to fall apart. There will definitely be loss of trust. There will definitely be hostility. And you may not go out and actively try to kill somebody. But remember, Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, you might as well have murdered them. And so there's a lot of spiritual murder that happens in our world because jealousy fuels it. Now, that's the end of our passage, but it leads us to ask the really important question. What is it? So now, y'all didn't even say anything. You let them do all your work for you. Now, we, now you got, then we can't do that. That's lazy. We're going to do it again now. And y'all got to do this now. All right, ready? What's the important question? So Good deal. Thanks. I feel better now. Okay. Now, guys, what about this issue of jealousy? You know, Saul had no corner on the market. I mean, all of us have struggled with jealousy at some point in our life. Our whole world struggles with this. I mean, if there were no jealousy, soap operas couldn't go on past a week. I mean, that's what keeps them going week after week after week after week. I met a lady in the foyer who came up to me and said, you know, Lon, when you first started talking this morning, I sat, sat out there and said to myself, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not jealous about anybody, man. I'm fine. But then as you began talking a little more and explaining, she said, I began counting the people up. One, two, three, four. So you may be sitting there now going, hey, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not like this about anybody. But wait a minute. Stick with me. okay? let's go on a little bit and see if maybe you are and maybe we need to deal with this. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about jealousy? Well, it's a very broad word in the English language. For example, we we use it for to apply to a guy's possessiveness over his girlfriend. You know, I run into girls who go, my boyfriend is so jealous. You would not believe how jealous he is. I mean, if a boy walks by and I even flinch, man, he's all over me. He's like so possessive. I can't stand it. Anybody known a boy like that? And, you know, sometimes it works the other way around. The old fatal attraction deal, it can go from girl to guy. But this is not what we're talking about here. Saul was not possessively in love with David. So that is not the meaning of the word that we're dealing with here. We are talking rather about the use of the word that involves synonyms like envy, resentment, a gall, which was actually used in our passage, unhealthy ego competition where one person has to outdo the other person and if they get ahead of you, man, it just drives you crazy. The jaundiced eye. This is what we're talking about. And, and this kind of jealousy is a feeling that we have towards other people. Jealousy is not an action. It's not something we do. It's something we feel on the inside. It's an attitude sin. The Bible says there are two kinds of sins. There are action sins, things you do, and there are attitude sins, sins that you feel. Attitude sins, the Bible says, are actually much more deadly. 
Because uh, action sins are easy to see. We do them, we see them, they're all out in the open. Attitude sins, man, are down in the secret part of the heart. And we cover them up and they're much more deadly. This is an attitude sin. It's not the same as greed. People say, well, jealousy and greed is the same thing. No, it isn't. Greed says, I want what you have. Jealousy says, I resent what you have. And even if I can't have it, I want you to lose it anyway. Because I don't really like you. And jealousy is a cancerous force, man, that, that destroys our feelings for other people. It, it means that when we're jealous of someone, we can't say one good word about them. When we're jealous of somebody, man, we, we just can't wait for them to, to, to crash and burn. We love to see them every time something goes wrong. And it poisons our relationships with people. Who can you feel this way about? Well, you can feel this way about a neighbor. Doesn't it drive you crazy when you have a neighbor that no matter what you get, they've got to get something just as big, just as good, even better. You, they use the lawn service that you use and their lawn's got to look better and their kids have got to have better toys and they've got to have better furniture and everything's got to be better, better, better. You know, doesn't it drive you nuts? I've had neighbors like that. And, and it's hard not to be jealous of the fact that they're constantly outdoing you. Or maybe a fellow student at school that always seems to be buttering up to the teacher, always getting the special privileges, and you know how they're getting them. You know what's really going on. And they're getting ahead and getting things that you wish you ought to be getting and you're not getting it because you're trying to live by the rules. Or maybe a co-worker who butters up the boss, goes to the boss, talks to the boss, gets a promotion, gets in line for certain things. And, you know, when they walk by, you just feel like going, just grabbing them and shoving their head in the printer. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Or maybe a fellow military officer that got the promotion that you should have gotten, or a roommate, or a friend, or a fellow church member who's more beautiful, more popular, more successful than you are. And, and, and I'll tell you how to know if you're jealous. See how many good things you can say about their success. You say, ouch. All right. When they have a success, see if you're there going, that's great, I'm so happy for you, and you mean it from the heart, and you're excited for them. Or see if on the inside you're going, well, if you're doing the rah-rah-rah stuff on the inside, then you probably have a problem. You know, it even starts when you're young, with children. You know, I've heard children, I've got children like this, you know. He got the front seat last time. How come he got the front seat last time? I didn't get the front seat last time. How come he got the front seat two times in a row? How come she got a brand new dress? I didn't get a brand new dress. How come she got a new dress? And I've never got new dresses. She gets new dresses all the time. I loaded the dishwasher three days in a row. How come he didn't have to load the dishwasher? He hadn't loaded the dishwasher all week. How come I load the dishwasher and he had to, have to load the dishwasher? And how come he gets to stay up that late? I didn't get to stay up that late when I was his age. How come you letting him stay up that late? And how come he gets to drive that car to high school? I didn't get to drive a car to high school like that. How come he gets to drive a car to high school like that? Ad infinitum, ad nauseum, right? (laughs) And we have a very sweet word that we've coined for this. We call it sibling rivalry. Nonsense. It's not sibling rivalry. It's raw jealousy. That's all. Raw jealousy. And every one of us has felt this evil, ugly thing at some point in our lives. Now, the problem with jealousy is it's not just evil and it's not just ugly, but the real problem that is often the worst problem is that it often drives us to make very bad decisions that we end up regretting the rest of our lives, to make irrational decisions. I mean, think about the brothers of Joseph who hated him and were so jealous of him they couldn't even speak to him. They sold him into slavery, lied to their father, deceived their father, ruined their relationship, lost the blessing of God on their lives, all because of jealousy. Think of Cain in the Bible. 
who murdered his brother Abel over jealousy and became an outcast the rest of his life. Think of the 12 disciples who were so jealous of one another, everybody trying to be top dog, that they ended up fighting like a bunch of, of, of uh, alley dogs and Jesus had to call them apart and rebuke them at the Last Supper. And then there's Tanya Harding. Remember her? And then there's a lady down, that lady down in Texas who went from being a mother to an inmate when she had her cheerleader daughter's friend murdered over raw jealousy over the girl. And we all know about O.J. Listen, jealousy will drive you to make some really bad choices, irrational choices that you'll regret the rest of your life. That'll ruin your life. My grandfather was named Papa. That's what we called him. And he had one brother, just there were two of them in the family, him and his brother Bobby. They grew up in a very wealthy family in Portsmouth, Virginia. I mean, very wealthy. And just before my, my great-grandfather, Papa's father, died, brother Bobby went in and had a new will sworn out and had Dad sign it to, without telling my grandfather. In the new will, as you might imagine, my grandfather was on the short end of the will. In fact, when my great-grandfather died... My grandfather, Papa, got one dollar. This is a totally true story. One dollar. And his brother, Bobby, got the whole rest of everything. I'm talking millions of dollars here. For 40 years, those two boys never spoke again. They were grown men now. Never spoke again. They lived in the same town. Never spoke. They'd pass each other on the street occasionally, by accident, within a a foot of each other. Wouldn't even acknowledge that the other person existed. If I ever brought up Uncle Bobby's name, it was like a peppermint patty blast blew through the room. You know what I'm saying? It was bad. And we look and we say, look, is anything worth this kind of people damage for 40 years? Two brothers don't even talk to each other. I mean, what's worth this? And in our rational mind, we sit here this morning. Most of us, anyway, are in our rational mind this morning. And we go, no, that's not worth it. But you see, my point is jealousy often makes us act irrationally. It often makes us do things that are incredibly stupid and allows us to justify those things in our minds somehow. Things that that are that are just destructive, not only for other people, but for us. It leaves dead bodies everywhere it goes. They say, Lon, okay, I'm with you. So how do I beat this? Because, Lon, I got to tell you the truth. When I when I see Susie, you know. Man, it just starts down in the gut and it's like it's just like a tornado, man. I mean, I can't stop it. I mean, I know it's wrong to feel this way about her, but I feel like I'm a I'm just a prisoner of this thing. It just takes over me and I'm just like all the time. Same thing when I see Billy. I mean, so help me beat this, will you? Give me some. How do I get on top of this? Well, I want to give you four principles real quickly that have worked for me. They really have because I struggle with jealousy in my life. You say, Lon, you're a pastor, man. You're not supposed to have be jealous. Well, I, listen, I hate to disappoint you, but I have been. In fact, I have a confession. Can I make a confession? <laughs> Everybody loves confessions. Okay, here, here's my confession. You know, want to know, I, I have to tell you who I'm insanely jealous of. I am insanely jealous of those people who can eat as many donuts as they want and never put weight on. Aren't you jealous of those people? Don't they drive you crazy? Walk in the donut store and eat six or seven donuts and they're skinny as a rail. I hate those people. Well, I mean, not really, but they, do, they drive me crazy. You say, that's the worst jealousy you've got? No, I wish it was. No, no, I struggle with it. And so do you. So let's talk about how do you beat this thing in your life? I've got four quick suggestions. Here we go. Number one, be honest about the problem. 
Be honest about the problem. Don't justify it away, excuse it away. Don't soften it by giving it another name like healthy marketplace competitiveness. No, 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 no. It's not healthy marketplace competitiveness, guys. It's jealousy. Call it what it is. I'm jealous of this person. They're ahead of me. I don't like them being ahead of me. They got something I wanted and I'm jealous. Call it what it is. Because as ugly as it may be, we can't really do much to fix it until we're honest enough about what it is. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, all the 12-step programs, Narcotics Anonymous, one of the things that these organizations have found to be very effective in working with people is a foundational principle they operate on. And that is this, that you cannot conquer a problem until you're willing to hit it head on and call it what it is. I am an alcoholic. And when a man or a woman gets to that point, then you can start working with them. But they've got to get to the point of making that ugly declaration about themselves. And friends, that's true with any of these attitude sins that we struggle with. It's when we can get to the place of making the ugly confession that, yes, I'm jealous. Well, then we can start working on it. Suggestion number two is reassess the value of people in your life. We have a saying in our family. It goes like this. People are more important. You say more important than what, Lon? Well, fill in the blank, folks. More important than anything. And the one thing that's always true about jealousy is it will hurt and damage your relationships with people. It will hurt and damage people. And if people are really the most important thing in our life and the most important thing in our universe and the most important thing in God's economy, then many times it helps me to step back and go, wait a minute. Do you have any idea the people damage you're going to do if you keep feeling this way? I mean, do you want to feel about this person the way your papa felt about his brother? I mean, Lon, nothing's worth that, man. Get a grip. Reassess the value of people in your life. Number three, attack jealousy with a weapon that'll work. Attack jealousy with a weapon that'll work, and that's prayer. I want to show you one other passage of Scripture. It's in Galatians chapter 5, if you turn there with me. Galatians chapter 5, it's page 826, if you're using our copy of the Bible. In the New Testament, the, Paul, the letter Paul wrote the Church of Galatia, chapter 5, page 826. Why do I say attack Jealousy with a weapon that'll work because lots of weapons won't work, friends, for you to just muscle it up and go, OK, ready? Deep cleansing breath. Here we go. I'm not going to be jealous. 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 Won't work. Won't work. Some of you have tried it. Won't work. You know why it won't work? Because nobody goes out of their house in the morning consciously deciding they're going to be jealous today. Nobody walks out and goes, okay, when I get to the office and I see Sue for the first 15 minutes, I'm going to be jealous and then I'm going to wipe it out and I'll be okay. No, it's not like that. Jealousy comes up from the deepest part of us. Friends, you don't have any conscious control over when you're going to feel jealous. Where does jealousy come from? Look right here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The Bible says... The works of the flesh or the acts of our sinful nature are these. And it begins to list them out. These are things that are endemic to what we are as sinful human beings. They are just simply part of the warp and the woof of our sin nature. And look at part of the list. Verse 20. In the middle of the verse. Hatred. Discord. Look. Jealousy. Jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. Friends, what this is telling us is that jealousy is a deep-seated part of our fleshly nature. We are not dealing here with a bad habit like burping at the table. 
No amount of BF Skinner behavior modification is going to fix this. This comes from a level completely beyond that. And the only weapon that will work to mortify our sinful nature and overcome it is the power of the Spirit of God Himself, the supernatural power of God, working way down on the inside of us, changing our very nature and desire. And that's why I say, if you want to attack jealousy and make some headway, the only way to do it is on your knees in prayer saying, God, I am jealous and I need the supernatural power of the Spirit of God. To change my heart. Number four and finally, and this is the most important, keep your focus on God, not on people. You want to be jealousy? Man, I can tell you how to do it. Keep your focus on God and not people. See, jealousy is an outgrowth of our worldview. Here's the worldview that most of us have. I want to get to the top. I want to be successful. I want my name to count somewhere. I want to achieve this and I want to gain that and I want to do this and I want to get this recognition. And that person, that person right there, they're competing with me. And that person right there, they're competing with me. And I have to do outdo this person. And every time that person goes around and politically maneuvers and gets ahead of me, that's one more person I got to get on top of. And you see the world like that. You're going to have a jealousy problem. You're going to have an envy problem. You're going to have a resentment problem. But you see, the Bible presents a different worldview. Listen to the worldview of the Bible when it comes to exalting ourselves and success. Not from the east, Psalm 66, nor from the west, nor from the south comes exaltation. It is the Lord who lifts one person up and puts the other person down. You know what this is saying, folks? This is saying that we have a sovereign Almighty God running our lives, our universe, and that he is bigger than every person, every political scheme, every brown noser, every, every, every scheme that people are putting on there, out there. And that if you trust God, God is perfectly big enough to get you exactly where you need to get. God is perfectly big enough to give you the success that God's plan calls for in your life. God is perfectly big enough to enhance your status and your career and get it where it needs to go. And friend, listen, what happens with other people makes no difference. It makes no difference, friends. For you to go up, you don't have to pull anybody down. And if somebody else goes up, that doesn't mean you can't go up too. God is in control of this thing, not people. And what happened to Saul? Saul got his eyes off of God and onto David. He began looking at David's popularity, David's charisma, David's skills, and David's, uh, all of David's ability. And he began to resent him. And he began to see him as a threat. If he'd have kept his eyes on God and said, God, I'm king as long as you want me to be king. And when you're ready for me to stop being king, not a force in the world is going to keep me as king. And as long as you want me as king, not a force is going to stop me from being king. Did you follow that? You wouldn't have had a jealousy problem. There's nothing to be jealous about if your eyes are on God instead of people. And friends, if we believe God is really running the universe, and He is, and if we believe He's in sovereign control of every event of our lives, and He is, and if we believe God's going to get each one of us exactly where His plan calls to get us, and He is, then folks... There's nothing to be jealous about. All the political games and the petty schemes of people aren't going to make one bit of difference where you end up. Forget it. Don't mud wrestle with these people. Don't lower yourself to their level. You live on the high road, the road that God's asking you to take, the road that has the worldview of God's promises to it. 
And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, may I say to you that when you get a relationship with Jesus Christ by trusting Him as your Savior, you get more than just a ticket to heaven, friend. You do get that. But you also get this kind of assurance that you've got an almighty, sovereign God running your life. And that He is going to open doors no man can shut. He's going to get you where you need to go. And this gives us the freedom, gives you the freedom to get out of the mud pit, to live above this stuff and take the high road. There's a lot more to this than just a ticket to heaven. And I hope you'll think about that. Friends, this is liberating faith. If you really see the world the way the Bible tells you to, it liberates you from the prison of jealousy and envy and bitterness and resentment and gall. You don't have to live with that stuff. God's going to take care of you. Relax. What have we learned? Let's summarize. How are we going to attack and beat jealousy in our lives? Number one, be honest about it. Call it what it is, Jack. Number two, reassess the value of people in your life and what this is going to do to hurt them. Number three, attack jealousy with the weapon that works. Prayer and that focuses the Spirit of God on your sinful nature. And fourth and finally, keep your focus on God, not on people. I believe the greatest weapon against jealousy is a biblical worldview. And if we've got it and we're cultivating it, man, jealousy doesn't even fit. Makes no sense. Doesn't even belong there. I hope these principles will be helpful to you. They've been very helpful to me. And I hope that they'll give you some victory in your life over this force. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to take about 20 seconds to give you a chance, if you've really felt like you're in a prison, to feelings of resentment and envy and bitterness towards somebody. But today, you really want to break out of that and be liberated. I want to give you a moment to tell God that. To tell God that you're going to, with His help, apply these principles and that you really want, you really want to take the high road from this point on. So take a moment and tell God that. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a great God. Thank you that you are in sovereign, absolute control of every event of our lives. Thank you that you have a plan for us and that you are going to work that plan and the schemes of people and the political maneuverings of other people is not going to make one bit of difference where we end up, what success we enjoy, that you're bigger than all that. And I want to pray, God, that you would help us to get in touch with that worldview and make it ours so that we can come up out of the mud pit and stop wrestling down there with people and we can live above it and take the high road. And God, thank you that the power of the Spirit of God can come into our life and it can shut down the works of the flesh. It can shut down jealousy. And I pray that we would use that weapon effectively in our lives. Help us, Lord, to live so above envy and bitterness and and, uh, and fleshly competition everywhere we go, that people would look at us and see something different and that it would be a great platform for us to talk to people about a sovereign God. So change our lives with what we've heard here today, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.